You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, our ghost host. Hello, and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I am your host, Brandy Stark, and on tonight's episode, we're going to talk about werewolves. I'm hoping to discuss a little bit of the history and significance of the werewolf, and then I have this wonderful poem from the Middle Ages that is actually in the Ancient Humanities textbook that I use to teach my students that I'm going to attempt to give a little bit of a dramatic reading from. We might take an excerpt, because it's a fairly long poem, and then maybe we'll We'll talk about some local werewolf lore. The pugs think it's a wonderful thing, and in the background you may hear them trying to transform. And if it happens, I'm not quite sure who will survive, but uh, we'll see right after these messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Hey, 
Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. I am still here. <laughs> it's a good sign. These pugs have been some melts tonight, but I think they're excited about this whole werewolf thing. I guess they find some kindred spirits here. But werewolves are interesting, and there's a theory that perhaps they are connected to us. In kind of a weird evolutionary way. If you think about it, humans and canines came together in prehistoric time periods, sometimes dated to about 140,000 BCE plus, a long time ago. And we do know that folks are coming out with theories that humans and dogs help to domesticate each other, which is interesting. Not only that, but in prehistoric religion, there appear to be very varied actually animal cults which include cats and bears and wolves and whatnot where animals appear to be highly highly venerated and if you think about it it makes sense because in indigenous cultures and by extension most believe perhaps prehistoric culture divinity would be made manifest in nature that's pretty cool and as long as nature is running on a cyclical basis then that indicates that godhead is happy when nature does something strange or unexpected, uh, means that God is not quite so happy. There's not this abstracted notion of God in the same way that we have, but in these cultures, God would be very much something in contact, that you'd be in contact with. And if you think about it, when we deal with nature, we have to alter it, right? We're born naked, we got to have clothing, We don't get shelter. We have to take nature away and build shelter or build shelter within nature. We don't have any weapons. Our weapons are our minds. And when you're coming up against a bear, that's not always the best thing to have. So when you look at animals, animals live in nature. They adapt to nature. They don't have to alter it. They are one with it. And in that sense, when you have divinity in nature, the two fit together well. Animals are a little more venerated because they are a little closer to the divine in that respect than we are. Yet remember that humans and reason, very important and very early noted in many, many religions. And of course, that is a gift usually from the Godhead. So there's kind of that connectivity, animals and nature, humans becoming closer to nature, perhaps through animals. So there's a theory about early shapeshifters actually representing uh, the shamanic, the people that dealt with the in-between state that shifted between our world and the divine world that kind of over overlap one another. Very cool stuff. Uh, we know that the Greeks... Yay, Greeks! This is the one that I'm probably going to do a paper on. That the Greeks talked about werewolves. Let's see. Uh, Demarcus, a werewolf from the Greek city-state of Arcadia, is said to have won boxing medals in the Olympics in 400 BCE. The Greeks, by the way, actually have a pretty long history of dealing with werewolves, uh, as well as other shape-shifting creatures. It's kind of cool. Let's see. Yeah, there's several. In fact, Paulus Aginet... I can't even do it. Paulus describes melancholic lycanthropy as a black and dismal frame of mind that causes some people to leave their homes and to wander into cemeteries taking refuge among the tombstones in 650 CE. That these folks become less human and more animal-like as they sink into their depression. We know that the Christian church dealt with werewolves 
and that during the witch trials, uh, people would also be arrested and tortured as werewolves. And in fact, one of the weirdest things is that France had this whole thing about werewolves, this huge spate of werewolves that showed up, I think, in the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries. And if you got caught as a werewolf, by the way, here's a marker for you for people who are werewolves. They have unusually sharp teeth. Not a surprise there. They also have a unibrow. That, to me, was a bit of a surprise. They have a unibrow, and they have unusually thick hair, uh, and they'll sometimes have hair growing out of the palm of their hands, which is interesting because that is also a vampire lore right there. But anyway, uh, the Middle Ages had a lot to do with uh, werewolves, and there's a story, and I always thought this was kind of sad, uh, that became very popular in the 16th century, I believe. Uh, there was a woman who was attacked by a wolf, and the wolf had an unusual marking across his forehead that people assumed was a unibrow. And they connected that unibrow with one kind of odd man from the village. They arrested him a week after the attack, and they tried to get him to admit that he was a werewolf. And he would not do it. Uh, he actually underwent torture by hot pincer, by the wheel, and they actually used, uh, I think, forceps to rip flesh from his bone and he finally admitted to being a werewolf at which point they burned him at the stake very uh, very tragic story the weird part of that is that they they made a drawing like almost like a comic book drawing of this whole thing and it was one of those things that sold like wildfire a lot of people would identify with it and could create the story from this image and it was just you know it was like the early version of twilight a very horrific version but uh, very popular at the same time. We know in 1848 the moon turned blood red during an eclipse and set off an epidemic of werewolf sightings. Pretty cool. 1857 G.W.M. Reynolds publishes Wagner the Werewolf. And then if we move into the 1900s, let's just jump ahead to maybe, oh, 1933. Montague Summers publishes his study of the werewolf in 1934, author Gay Andor publishes The Werewolf of Paris. 1935, Henry Hall stars as The Werewolf of London. 1940, Harry Gordon, The Werewolf of San Francisco, is arrested. Huh. 1941, The Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. establishes Werewolf Arcana according to Hollywood. Now, this is kind of an interesting little aside for you, but it turns out that werewolf lore that we have today is actually mostly contrived from Hollywood. For example, the notion that if a werewolf bites you, you become a werewolf? Nope. That is Lon Chaney Jr. That's that movie, The Wolfman. In the Middle Ages and before, if a werewolf bit you, it was because it was chewing you up. There was nothing left behind to live and become a werewolf, which I think is kind of interesting. The full moon was always actually fairly well associated with a werewolf, but we kind of added this weird arcane lore. Uh, one movie depicted the werewolf with a pentagram on its on his hand, and I think the pentagram would move uh, and would point out the next victim. I was like, hmm, well, that's something you don't hear every day. And then, of course, if we continue to flash forward, what starts happening to the werewolf? Well, let's think about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We have Oz, right? Right? And Oz is this adorable little thing. At least I think so, because I like Seth Green. I think he's like the best thing since Buttered Toast. And he's actually my age, but alas, he's married. But he always, I thought, was adorable as Oz. I mean, he was a likable 
kind of unusual guy. Comfortable with himself, a little bit of a, you know, a nerd, but not enough to really stand out. But he had to struggle with his werewolf nature, right? He turned into a werewolf for three days out of the month, which was, and I think he even made jokes that it was his version of the period, right? We continue to move forward and we eventually get Twilight. And I'm sorry if you like Twilight. I was on Team Jacob because vampires just do not sparkle. Ew, what the heck, man? But Team Jacob, where you had this character who was a werewolf who's quite comfortable with himself. And I think his characters even explained, I'm not a big fan of the Twilight series, but as I recall, he was explained to have something like a dual DNA strand or something like that, that he could, as a werewolf, he and his whole pack could kind of activate he was gorgeous, right? I think they paid him to take his shirt off like every scene. And I guess, you know, if I were him, I'd do it too. It's just me. But we start seeing kind of the sexy werewolf. We see being human as another TV show. Recently on sci-fi, not sure how much I like it. I, I actually think that show drives me a little bit crazy because it's just too angsty. I mean, the British had much more of a kind of an even tone, the UK version, but the American version, it's like something really awesome happens and they're all doing really well and they think they're going to be okay. And by the end of the episode, they've gone up and down like 15 times. And then at the end, it's this huge downer. You know, somebody's dead and they all sit there in anxiety. So I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that one. But I wish it was just more even keeled. But you still have Josh in that. And he's kind of this goofy guy, you know, uh, likable, goofy, and certainly a werewolf who, you know, has to deal with the fact that his lycanthropy, you know, caused his girlfriend to uh, miscarry during the full moon, uh, their child, that he inadvertently scratched her. And that's, again, another Hollywood lore thing. We're going from biting to scratching, turning you into a vampire, or excuse me, into a werewolf. And so now she's a werewolf, right? And fairly soon, another show coming out is going to be Beauty and the Beast. And the Beast is kind of a basically a werewolf-type creature who turns into a beast at night. So we're kind of seeing that, interestingly enough, and I think this is fascinating, and I, I'm not, unfortunately, making this up. I mean, there are studies that indicate that the werewolf has become associated with this bestial sexuality, this primal urge that it fully embraces. I mean, how interesting is that? So anyway, we move on. So just a little history of the vampire. There's more in there. Some actually, for example, believe that Little Red Riding Hood is connected to the old werewolf belief, that the wolf was actually a werewolf, and thus he actually dons human clothes. I thought that was kind of cool. That in itself would make a fun paper. I get to it one of these days. But I thought what I would do is to tell you a little bit about the reading itself that got me so excited about werewolves. And, uh, I think we'll do that right after these messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection, exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. 
plus free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Brent Atwater, and I'm the Animal Reincarnation Authority. Join me every week on Alive Again and let me look at your pet's energy to determine if they're going to reincarnate. I'll be able to tell you when they're going to come back and what they look like. So send me your pet's photo and email me your question at brent at petliferadio.com. I'm looking forward to answering your questions on Alive Again. Every week only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And we are back. We're going to talk about a poem by Marie... Difference called, and I am going to apologize now, it's called The Werewolf. But when I speak French, it's awful. So I'm going to speak as much English as I can about this poem. But it's actually, it's actually fairly long. It is a, it's a nice sized poem from this woman. Now, what do we know about Marie de France? Nothing, or next to nothing. Uh, she was a good storyteller. She wrote, I believe, 12 poems that get collected into something called The Fables. And she actually describes herself. She says, I'll give my name for memory. I am from France. My name's Marie. And that's all we know. Some speculate that she was uh, perhaps a woman who worked in Henry II's court. Maybe she was a storyteller for them. Some speculate that not only did she work in Henry II's court, but that she was his half-sister. Because we do know that Henry's father had an illegitimate daughter named Marie who later became an abbess in 1180. So this is actually a fairly old poem. So we're talking the 12th century that this came out. How cool is this? So the little introduction says, the following poem represents one of the darker of the 12 she wrote, combining the stuff of medieval folk superstition and the chivalric tradition. It is a perfect example of the growing popular appeal of literary works in the Romanesque world. Now understand, in Europe at this point, we are hitting the Crusades. We've moved kind of out of the Dark Ages, which really, the 8th through 12th century, you get the Carolingian Renaissance uh, right around the 8th century. So it's, it's kind of this time period where Europe is beginning to reawaken. Not only is it beginning to reawaken, but it has new ideas and new concepts. And there's kind of a shift in society. Individual people and guilds and cities are gaining power. It's really kind of an interesting time to be around. So this is her poem. Since I'm undertaking to compose poetry, I don't want to forget the werewolf. In Britain, the 
name is werewolf, the Normans call it Garwolf. In the olden days, people used to say, and it's often actually happened, that some men turned into werewolves and lived in the woods. A werewolf is a savage beast. While his fury is on him, he eats men. He does much harm. He goes deep in the forest to live, but that's enough of this for now. I want to tell you about the werewolf in Brittany. There lived a nobleman whom I've heard marvelously praised, a fine, handsome knight who behaved nobly. He was close to his lord and loved by his neighbors, and he had an esteemed wife, one of lovely appearance, and he loved her and she him. But one thing was very vexing to her. During the week, he would be missing for three whole days, and she didn't know what happened to him or where he went. Nor did any of his men know anything about it. One day he returned home, happy and delighted, she asked him. My lord, she said, and dear love, I'd very much like to ask you one thing if I dared, but I'm afraid of your anger, and nothing frightens me more. When he heard that, he embraced her, drew her to him, and kissed her. My lady, he said, go ahead and ask. There's nothing you could want to know, that if I knew the answer, I wouldn't tell you. By God, she replied, now I'm cured, my lord. On the days when you go away from me, I'm in such a state. I'm sad at heart, so afraid I'll lose you, that if I don't get quick relief, I could die of this very soon. Please, tell me where you go, where you've been staying. I think that you must have a lover, and if that's so, you're doing wrong. My dear, he said, have mercy on me, for God's sake. Harm will come to me if I tell you about this, because I'd lose your love, and even my very self. When the lady heard this, she didn't take it lightly. She kept asking him, coaxed and flattered him so much that he finally told her what happened to him, and he hid nothing from her. My dear, I become a werewolf. I go off into the great forest, in the thickest part of the woods, and I live on the prey I hunt down. And when he had told her everything, she asked further whether he undressed or kept his clothes on when he became a werewolf. Wife, he replied, I go stark naked. Tell me then, for God's sake, where your clothes are. That I won't tell you. For if I were to lose them and be discovered, I'd stay a werewolf forever. I'd be helpless until I got them back. That's why I don't want their hiding place to be known. My lord, the lady answered, I love you more than all the world. You mustn't hide anything from me or fear me in any way. That doesn't seem like love to me. What wrong have I done? For what sin of mine do you mistrust me about anything? Do the right thing and tell me. She harassed and bedeviled him so that he had no choice but to tell her. Lady, he said, near the woods, beside the road that I used to get there, there's an old chapel that has often done me good service. Under a bush, there's a big stone hallowed out inside, and I hide my clothes right there until I'm ready to come home. The lady heard this wonder and turned scarlet from fear. She was terrified of the whole adventure. Over and over, she considered how she might get rid of him. She never wanted to sleep with him again. And then there's an excerpt. The lady asks a knight who has always loved her to find this werewolf and kill him, but they never find him. And the two marry. But one day, some hunters find him. So her husband kind of gets kicked out. The hunters and the dogs chased him all day until they were about to take him and tear him apart, at which point he saw the king and ran to him, pleading for mercy. He took a hold of the king's stirrup, kissed his leg and foot. The king saw this and was terrified. He called to his companions. My lords, he said, come quickly, look at this marvel. This beast is humbling itself to me. It has the mind of a man, yet it's begging me for mercy. Chase the dogs away and make sure no one strikes it. This beast is rational. He has a mind. Hurry up. Let's get out of here. I'll extend my peace to the creature indeed. I'll hunt no more today. Thereupon the king turned away. 
The werewolf followed. He stayed close to the king and wouldn't go away. He had no intention of leaving him. The king led him to his castle and was delighted with this turn of events, for he'd never seen anything like it. He considered the beast a great wonder and held him very dear. He commanded all his followers, for the sake of their love for him, to guard the werewolf well and under no circumstances to do him harm. None of them should strike him. Rather, he should be strong and well-fed and watered. They willingly guarded the creature. Every day he went to sleep among the knights near the king. Everyone was fond of him. He was so noble and well-behaved that he never wished to do anything wrong, regardless of where the king might go. The werewolf never wanted to be separated from him. He accompanied the king. The king became very much aware that the creature loved him. Now listen to what happened next. The king held a court to help him celebrate his feast and to serve him as handsomely as possible. He summoned all the barons who held fiefs from him. Among the knights who went, all dressed up in their best attire, was the one who had married the werewolf's wife. He neither knew nor suspected that he would find the werewolf so close by, and as soon as he came to the palace, the werewolf saw him ran toward him at full speed, sank his teeth into him, and started to drag him down. He would have done him great damage if the king hadn't called him off and threatened him with a stick. Twice that day he tried to bite the knight. Everybody was extremely surprised since the beast had never acted that way toward any other man he had seen. All over the palace said that he wouldn't act that way without a reason, and somehow or the other the knight had mistreated the wolf, and he now wanted his revenge. And so the matter rested until the feast was over, and until the barons took their leave of the king and started home. The very first to leave, the best of my knowledge, was the knight whom the werewolf had attacked. It's no wonder the creature hated him not long afterward, as the story leads me to believe the king, who was so wise and noble, went back into the forest, where he had found the wolf, and the creature went with him. That night, when he finished hunting, he sought lodging out in the countryside. The wife had heard about it, dressed herself elegantly, and went the next day to speak with the king, bringing rich presents for him. When the werewolf saw her coming, no one could hold him back. He ran to her in a rage. Now listen to how well he avenged himself. He tore the nose off her face. What worse thing could he have done to her? Now men closed in on him from all sides, and they were about to tear him apart when a wise man said to the king, My lord, listen to me. This beast has stayed with you, and there is not one of us who hasn't watched him closely, hasn't traveled with him often. He's never touched anyone or shown any wickedness except to this woman. By the faith that I owe you, he has some grudge against her and against her husband as well. This is the wife of the knight whom you used to like so much and who's been missing for so long. We don't know what became of him. Why not put this woman to torture and see if she'll tell you why the beast hates her? Make her tell you what she knows. We've seen many strange things happening in Brittany. The king took his advice and detained the knight. At the same time, he took the wife and subjected her to torture. Out of fear and pain, she told all about her husband and how she had betrayed him and taken away his clothes. The story he had told her about what happened to him and where he went and how after she had taken his clothes, he'd never been seen in the land again. And she was quite certain that this beast was the wolf here. The king demanded the clothes. Whether she wanted to or not, she sent home for them and had them brought to the wolf. When they were put down in front of him, he didn't even seem to notice them. The king's wise men, the one who had advised him earlier, said, My lord, you're not doing it right. The beast wouldn't under any circumstances, in order to get rid of his animal form, put on his clothes in front of you. You don't understand what this means. He's just too ashamed to do it here. 
Have him led to your chambers and bring the clothes with him. Then we'll leave him alone for a while, and if he turns into a man, we'll know about it. The king himself led the way and closed the doors on him. After a while, he went back, taking two barons with him. All three entered the king's chamber. On the king's royal bed, they found the knight asleep. The king ran to embrace him and hugged and kissed him again and again. And as soon as he had the chance, the king gave him back all of his lands and gave him more than I can tell. He banished his wife, chased her out of the country. She went into exile with the knight with whom she had betrayed her lord. She had several children who were widely known for their appearance. Several women of the family were actually born without noses and lived out their lives noseless. The adventure that you have heard really happened, no doubt about it. The poem of the werewolf was made so it would be remembered forever. Isn't that cool? So, there is your poem from the Middle Ages. And as you can hear from the noise around me, apparently my storytelling has put the pugs to sleep. And they are dreaming now of chasing werewolves, becoming werewolves, chasing me. I'm not quite sure. They're funny little guys, aren't they? Sorry, I just had to have them in here. I tried to put them to bed, but they really wanted to hear this story. So, with all of that in mind, I think there was one other thing I was going to share. I did get, how about this? How about the legend of the Georgia werewolf girl? Sounds good to me. I'll just read it very shortly. This comes from the website Georgia Mysteries. So, just in case you don't think these werewolves are close, they are. Over time, I have seen quite a bit of material in the legend of the Georgia werewolf, Emily Isabel Burt. Apparently, Ms. Burt was a resident of Talbot Country, a rural country between southwest Georgia between Macon and Columbus. The Burt family, a wealthy and prominent family in the Talbot County community, had several children. According to the late Nancy Roberts in her books Georgia Ghosts, published by John F. Blair Publishers in 1997, there were Sarah, Mildred, Emily, Isabel, and Joel. Miss Burt was widowed by the age of 37 and had inherited a nice estate from her deceased husband. Of all of her children, it appeared that Emily Isabel was the one with the most problems. For one, she had inherited a lot of the physical traits from her father, including dark hair and bushy eyebrows. However, she was said to have sharp white canine teeth that made her smile quite disturbing. In one report, Roberts claimed that Emily, Isabel's mother, took her to a local dentist to see if the teeth could be altered in any way, but he could do nothing for her. Soon afterwards, she fell ill and suffered from restless nights. The only thing that seemed to allay those sleepless nights was an elixir that contained opium. Nevertheless, the elixir was not foolproof, and some nights Emily Isabel roamed the countryside. In addition to these strange issues, Emily Isabel had a fondness for reading, and her subject of choice was the supernatural. This poor kid just has every mark against her. Given the fact that part of her mother's inheritance upon the death of her father was a vast collection of books, this affinity for reading was quite convenient. Even her mother was fond of this reading habit, and as it had a way of keeping an eye on Emily as she stayed home and read in the family library. Legend has it that the beau of one of Emily Isabel's sister, a William Gorman, reported that to the birds that something was killing his sheep. Fearful that this may soon be happening to her animals, Mrs. Mildred Burt became quite concerned. On ensuing visits, Gorman would recount stories about more sheep killings and that some of his cattle were killed as well. He was concerned about the killings and decided to take action. He reported that it was going to be he was going to be putting together what amounted to a posse. Their intentions were to 
to shoot and kill whatever beast was doing the damage. Emily Isabel was unusually interested in what was going on and what events had transgressed in the hunt for this animal. On the night of the big hunt, Mildred Burt, who also had inherited more than a few guns and was a great markswoman, went out with her pistol. She apparently suspected that Emily Isabel was somehow involved in the killings and she wanted to be prepared for anything. As she was near to the area, an animal lunged for her and she fired. It ran away. And interestingly enough, it was reported that Emily Isabel was missing her left hand. Actually, this sounds like an urban legend. This is a very common medieval story. After being taken to a local physician, her mother decided to send her to Paris to be treated by a doctor who specialized in lycanthropy, a disorder that made its victims think they were werewolves. While she was in Paris, the attack stopped, and when she returned, supposedly cured, the attacks fell to a minimum. Isabel remained in the county until her death in 1911. She was 70 years old and is buried in the Owens and Home Cemetery near Woodland. Her story has endured, but not everyone is convinced that this legend is true. And if you like to read more, they do kind of a nice um, summary of what they've found. This is posted by the professor, but you are welcome to look at georgiamysteries.blogspot.com backslash 2009-10 legend of Georgia werewolf girl.html. So with that, my friends, I think I must get the pugs to bed. I hope you've enjoyed your tales of werewolf mischief, shall we say. Hopefully, you guys will return after the full moon, either fully aware or not, and we will pick it up from there. I can actually see a couple other werewolf things coming down the line, just in case you're curious. I hope everybody has a happy and safe holiday does not trip over snoring and sleeping pugs, remembers to support their local animal shelter and their local animal rescue. And with that, happy haunting. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>